Jaguars Digital. Jaguars. Jaguars Digital. Jaguars Drive Time. Brian Sexton. John Osher. Ashlyn Sullivan. Jaguars Drive Time starts right now. Good morning and welcome to Jags Drive Time on a big and apparently bright and sunny Monday morning in Jacksonville, the morning after. Last night, gosh, uh, quarter to 10, maybe 10 o'clock, probably 15,000 people swarming through the hallways and the seats there at Everbank Field as the Jaguars came on through that tunnel right there in the right-hand corner, upper right-hand corner. They wandered out kind of right to left across the screen there and uh, celebrated like they did 21 years ago as the Jaguars advanced to the AFC Championship game. Then and now, good morning and welcome into Jags Drive Time. You knew we'd be here on a Monday morning and we have a lot to talk about. Who's we? Well, right now it's me and John Osier. In just a little bit, we'll bring in Ashlyn Sullivan. She's over there waving. Joe Fortunato's alongside. Patrick Cavanaugh pushing the buttons. We've got a lot to talk about. Senior writer John Osher. good morning. Good morning. I can't stop talking. Well, I'm waiting for you to jump it's in. It's got here. nothing to do with the playoffs. But well, yeah, right. The talking's never been my problem. I saw, a tweet, Brian, I saw a tweet from Pittsburgh um, from a writer who, whose headline was trying to explain the Steelers' unimaginable loss. Unimaginable. Well, I, and, and you know what? I mean, I thought the Steelers were going to win. Okay. And so uh, I, I'm taking the punches on Twitter, and that's fine. That's sure. good. Well, it's, I take a lot of punches in my life. But – it's not unimaginable that the Jaguars won that game. Well, I thought the Jaguars were going to win. You and I had this right. conversation in the press box I mean, a couple hours before the game. The Steelers were favored by seven, and but there were plenty of scenarios for the Jaguars to win. But the way they won it wasn't one of the scenarios. Look, it, no, oh, no. that's why this game will be not so remembered. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a bizarre, wild game. They went against every storyline, but it was not unimaginable. But to me, of course, it was very imaginable because I looked at the matchups. I thought this team was better than they were back then. Now. People looked at it through the filter of a 10-point performance against the Bills. They looked at it through the filter of Blake Bortles running for more yards against the Bills than throwing. They couldn't see how you could go and beat the Steelers doing that. Right. And yet the matchups, I thought, were all in their favor. You had Brandon Linder here. There was a healthy football team. On defense, you were better with Marcel Darius. Mm-hmm. They were weaker on defense without Ryan Shazier. The matchups were all there, so unimaginable is just because that rider didn't have the imagination to be able to see. Well, I, I mean, that the Steelers were it's not, not an uncommon the best team take in the AFC. To think that that was unimaginable, it, it's just funny how the perception was so strong. I believed the Jaguars had a chance. Uh, my worry was I kept hearing all week, cold, 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 cold. And from what you tell me, again, I was in the press box. Yeah, and right. The you, you spread know, you in Pittsburgh is off the charts good, by the way. The food? But once it wasn't cold or it wasn't as much of a factor, even on the pregame show yesterday, I said, you know, I, it made me feel really good about the Jaguars' chances the longer it stayed sunny the more that you thought that it wasn't going to be one of those just batten down. and It wasn't that bad. So Thanks to my buddy Nick, who lent me his snowmobile boots, my feet were warm. And as they say, if your feet are warm, the body is warm. But I, I went out there with thick gloves on, and my hands were sweating. So I put on light gloves. The sun made a huge right. difference, John. And you and I, again, were in the press box talking, because they actually let me in the press box before the game. And uh, I think you made him kick me out 
is, well, I is signed against, yeah. but they didn't miss <laughs> right. it, so. And we were talking about how that weather, how the Jaguars would react. Well, right. it was pretty clear four or five minutes into the game yeah. that the weather was not going to be a factor. I thought early on uh, from the press box, when I saw Blake Bortles during warm-ups and he looked very comfortable throwing, there was zip. It didn't look to me like he was throwing in weather. Uh, that's when I thought, you know what, their chances are far better than even I was giving them credit for. You know, it felt uh, chillier when we walked on the field here, right, than it mm-hmm. did in Pittsburgh. And Ashlyn was around all day. Hello, Ashlyn. How are Hello, you? Hello. Good morning. Did you enjoy that last night? It I ask you that because crazy. it doesn't happen very often. No. And I didn't imagine it to be like that. I didn't imagine that many fans. I was here at 530 up at the ramp taking videos of thousands of fans just in the parking lot waiting to be let in. Stood there for an hour in that cold to be let in the stadium. Were you warm? No, I wasn't. Okay. But I figured that you guys would be a little more cold up there. You're so from South Florida, I sucked so, it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's start with big things, young lady. What you got for us? Blake Bortles, ugh, where do we even begin? 14 of 26, 214 yards, but it wasn't really about the stats for me. What really stood out to me was that shot down the field to Keelan Cole. That was his message, I think, to a lot of people that he's an NFL quarterback. He belongs here playing in January football. Now, the best part I thought about the whole day was after the, after the game in the locker room, all those guys sticking up from Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell, Leonard Fournette on the podium. They believed in their guy. Ashton, great points. John, you and I could spend this entire show mm-hmm. on Blake Bortles. The remarkable difference from one Sunday to the next. He was the star of the show yesterday. Well, he absolutely was. And, you know, I went back this morning and watched the first half. I haven't had a chance to watch the second half. But he really wasn't the star until absolute crunch time. Even early, he was good. He had some third down throws. But then there was a little phase in the third quarter where you felt like the Steelers were getting back in it. Blake had not played poorly at that point, but he had not ascended, if you will. You know, again, from just uh, sort of watching it from a press box view. And then, boy, all of a sudden, starting with the pass to Keelan Cole, big play after big play after big play, I thought. Um, If you look at the season in the totality, though, this game is not an outlier for Blake. It's a it's an outlier if you compare it to the last two games, meaning at Tennessee and at Buffalo. But I kept thinking before the Steelers game, those were more game plan oriented things that kept Blake from ascending. I said before the game, and I, I told you in the press, I thought if the game was on a neutral field, meaning the weather, that I thought Blake would have a big day. Once the weather wasn't a big factor, it didn't surprise me that he was efficient because he's been good far more often than not this year. Good for him to prove it on a national stage. You know, Mike Tomlin pointed it out in postgame yesterday for the Steelers that they won the moments. The Jaguars won the moments. On a day in which Bortles... It was close. Steelers had some moments. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But the Jaguars had more. Absolutely. All right? So on a day in which Ben Roethlisberger throws for nearly 500 yards and five touchdowns, Blake Bortles was better, and he, he, so here's here's where it turned and from the field. Uh, fourth and one at the Jags' 39-yard line, it felt like they were going to tie the ball game, mm-hmm. right? And in my mind, all I'm thinking about is 2007 when Roethlisberger led right. them back down 28-10 at the start of the fourth quarter to a 29-28 lead. For about 16 or 17 Ooh. minutes, they felt behind even right. though they were ahead. So, fourth and one, 
the throw to Smith Schuster, broken up by AJ Boye, and then Leonard goes up the middle, and then the pass to Marquise right was broken up. So it's third down and eight with 12 minutes to play, and you're thinking they're going to punt it back to Roethlisberger. Can they hold him off again? And Blake finds Marquise for 11 yards in the first down. Remember that play? Yeah. Okay. The very next play, 45 yards to Keelan Cole. Deep ball. And at that point, you... Which that hadn't happened. I haven't looked at the stats yet. I don't think they had had a deep ball of that ilk. Since the Houston Since Houston. No, they hadn't. Even in San Francisco, when he threw for some yards... And that's what had been missing. I thought they'd hit that early. They hit it when it mattered. When it mattered. And that's the story. The moments when they mattered the most, Blake Bortles was up for the challenge. And well, then credit to Nate Hackett. The play called to Tommy oh, Bohannon, big time. Sensational. And even early on, from the word go in that game, the drive, uh, the first drive, O'Shaughnessy's involved. I think it was Marquise involved. Hearns involved. They went to three different receivers on the first drive. Really set the tone. And then Quick was involved, too. Yeah. Quick. And uh, so you're talking about O'Shaughnessy, your guy, and uh, Koyak heavily involved on the first series, definitely going against tendencies on the first drive, which which, which, which you have to do in the playoffs. And before we take a break, Ashlyn pointed out something that was poignant in the locker room, and that was how quickly the defensive players Mm – we're defending the quarterback on Sunday, pointing which it again out. is not an outlier. They've been doing that all year. Oh, absolutely, right. but boy, uh, Miles Jack, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, Barry Church, Campbell, yeah. Barry Church, Boye, and then Malik Jackson, who was probably the most vociferous in his in his. It, he wasn't. It wasn't. He was praising Blake as much as he was attacking those who had attacked his quarterback. Yep. It. I think it's very telling what this team thinks of their quarterback. Has been for the last two months. All right, we will take a break. Come back with more big things from Ashland, more thoughts from John. This is Jags Drive Time on a Monday morning. Jags headed to the AFC Championship game in New England next week. And we're back after 60 seconds to talk more about it. Jags Wired is a brand new show that brings you closer to the field than anywhere else. We mic up the players. We're giving it our wholesale today, baby. Giving you exclusive access to what's happening on the sideline. Let's set this tempo. And on the field. You can't rock me. We break down every aspect of Sunday's game, taking you inside the film room and the locker room. And we beat a good football team. Jags Wired airs Wednesday nights at 7.30 on Fox 30 and on Jaguars.com and the Jaguars apps. Jags Wired. Don't miss it. Jags fans, experience Everbank Field in an entirely new way. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a fully guided behind-the-scenes stadium visit. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards. And see why the Travel Channel named Everbank Field as one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and complete tales. See you at the bank. Welcome back to Jags Drive Time on this Monday morning. Here with you with big thing number two, Le'Veon Bell. Oof, did those Twitter words come to haunt him. That locker room heard what he said. They took it, stored it up here, and used it to their advantage. Now, after the game, Le'Veon Bell in the locker room said he wasn't disrespecting the Jaguars. He knew how good they were. It was just all about confidence and how he believed in his team. But you got to hope that he learned his lesson there. Oh, I, I, I think that he did. And, <laughs> and one of his teammates, David DeCastro, who is an all-pro guard, said after the game, 
how disappointed he was mm-hmm. at the way that the Steelers were looking forward to the Patriots. A couple thoughts. And it wasn't just Le'Veon Bell. Oh, no, Mike but Mitchell. his was the most high profile. And I mean, you tweet it. Tomlin, right. yeah, right. But it brought me back. So I woke up in the morning of January 4th, 1997 in Denver, went downstairs to get a paper and have breakfast, and the first thing I see is the infamous Jaguars column from Woody mm-hmm. Page. And the minute I saw that tweet, that tells you how our world has changed now. You don't read a column sure. in the newspaper, in the Denver Post. You read a tweet on your phone, and I thought, I wonder how long it will take for Calais, figuring as a leader of the team, that that would be in front of his teammates. And it was, and it was a huge story in the locker room after the game. It was remarkable how many players wanted to start with the thoughts on Le'Veon Bell. I want to hear your thoughts on that, but, boy, is he a terrific player. He is a tremendous football player, and he and Brown did not score in the game in October and both had two touchdowns and more than 100 yards of offense yesterday. Well, that's obviously an aside right now, but, yes, Jaguars gave up 42, but a 35, really, the end of this game sort of doesn't bother me, but... There's a reason that Antonio Brown and uh, Le'Veon Bell are all pro players and perhaps might be wearing gold jackets someday. MVP candidates, too. And so is uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So, yes, the Steelers scored just like 10-3 in Buffalo. Doesn't mean the Steelers game is going to be the same. 42 points yesterday doesn't mean the Patriots are going to be the same. Every game plan is torn up, and you're, as Doug Morelli said, you're running 65 more plays next week. It's all out the window. Um, You know, I was surprised that the Steelers were so blatant about it all week. And I guess when you get worked up, sort of like um, in 97 when the Broncos talked about getting the Jags back all year, if you remember. You get so obsessed with one team, and you get so obsessed with the idea that you have to go beat those guys. I remember when I was in Indianapolis, uh, Tony Dungy always used to say, they didn't build to beat the Patriots. He always guarded against that, even though it was obvious you had to beat the Patriots at that point to get there. But his point was, what if you get there and they're not there? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got to go beat other teams. It, it does not feel right. You know, In retrospect, I'm sure the Steelers wish they had taken more of that approach. Uh, as Jalen Ramsey said, it, it was hard to figure out how they were so looking at the Patriots when they had gotten beat so badly in October. Again, I thought the Steelers would win, but I certainly didn't think it was one to be overlooked, and that was what was odd to me. It it felt in some circles like it was being overlooked, and as Malik Jackson said, absolute disrespect that you usually don't see in this league. No, you don't. And, you know, the revenge factor I was dismissing all week long because if there had ever been a revenge factor that I had seen firsthand, it was 99 with the Titans, right? Mm-hmm. When they rolled in here having given the Jaguars their only two losses during the regular season. And right. Here they were with a chance to go to the Super Bowl and exact revenge, and it, it never played out that way. It was always about matchups to me. Right. The revenge factor comes into play when you get up and have some success early, and then you start beating your chest, and, and the momentum really goes right. with you. And it certainly did in that game. So the revenge factor didn't help the 99 Jaguars, and it didn't help the 2017 Steelers, because they weren't focused on revenge. Well, that's a good for point, the right. Jaguars, they were focused on revenge on the Patriots. So right. take that one for what it's worth. It was a remarkable day. Uh, you know, I was out walking around on Saturday night in downtown Pittsburgh just to get a feel for I it. I saw you. Yeah. yeah, but I saw you first. You yeah. <laughs> right. right. Um, boy, there were Steelers fans in every hotel. I mean, the, that town was filled with people. The expectation was this team, not just from the fans, 
I'm sorry, from the players, but from the fans as well. And, you know, from the guy who was, you know, working at Chipotle Grill mm-hmm. and the guy who was out there directing traffic, they thought the Steelers were going to rule. Yep. They believed it, and the Steelers players fueled that fire, and the Jaguars felt it, and they took advantage of it. Favorite quote yesterday, uh, Malik Jackson. The unicorn quote? Yeah. Ah, oh, I loved it. And, it. and I was standing right there and heard it, and they're beasts. They think they're werewolves. They're really unicorns. I had no idea what he meant, but I went, all right, you and me, baby. Let's go. <laughs> well, what he was saying, somebody had made the comment, maybe Mike Mitchell, about a silver bullet. And his comment, if you didn't see it, and you'll probably find it this week, was, you know, they think they're fictional uh, characters, uh, fantasy creatures. He said they're not werewolves. They're unicorns. Yeah, Malik had no idea what he was talking about, but no, it was beautiful. but I liked it. I liked it, too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we'll take a break. Oh, no, no, let's not take a break. Let's go big thing number three. Let's do it. Okay, heading back to Boston for the AFC Championship. It's going to be a challenge, no doubt, but so was yesterday. Patriots, seven consecutive AFC Championship games. They have a powerhouse of excellence and a standard that no one else has recently. But you got to think that you can't rule out this locker room anymore. You've seen so many examples of that, and you got to hope this week that there's not talk about that. You know, great point. I, yesterday, I was watching as we were getting dressed to NFL Network, and uh, I forget who pointed it out, maybe Ian Rappaport, that the Patriots had won nine straight division titles. Uh, they had eight consecutive first-round buys. So they hadn't played on wild-card weekend in, you know, since 2009. And they had been in seven consecutive mm-hmm. AFC championship games. It's a remarkable run. And, uh, but what you can't forget, and I'm sure what Doug Marone will remind his players of, they've, is it eight straight? AFC Championship games are seven. Seven Whatever straight. Is. This is their seventh Well, you know what? Um, they haven't won seven straight Super Bowls. And they haven't made seven straight Super Bowls. And it, it hasn't always been a dynastic team beating them to get there. The Ravens have beaten this team in the postseason. The Broncos, with a great defense and a okay offense, beat this team in the postseason. They always get here. But once you're here... It's about the matchup. It's about the hot team. It, the team that year can beat this team. And the evidence is that they don't have seven straight rings sitting on their finger. They have two? Yeah. Sen- or, right, two. two since 2004. So this is an unbelievable run they're on. It, 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 it's dynastic on a scale that we may never see again. But just because you're there in that final bunch – for them doesn't mean they always win it. They've been beaten by the Ravens with good defensive teams that hang around them. Uh, I think I like the Jaguars' chances in this game more than I liked them going into last week. And it's so early. I haven't really had a chance to to look exactly at the Patriots, but I'll say that this is a matchup I've wanted to see all mm-hmm. year. As the defense played better, I, I found myself looking at the Patriots because they're on national TV all the time and thinking, how would the Jaguars play Brady this time? You know, the Jaguars have never beaten Tom Brady. They've only ever beaten the Patriots once here in the AFC wildcard game in 1998. And I, I, for once, I thought all season long, this defense could go mm-hmm. and play against Brady. After the game, A.J. Boyer said to me, look, this is the game. This you game. measure yourself against the very best. You have the best quarterback, the best coach, and the best team sitting in front of you. We've said all season long, quoting Boyer, we're the best defense. We get to go prove it next week. They have speed to control the short passing game. They have a fast pass rush. If this is Gronk, I don't know if we'll see this or not. Right. I want to see 20. Yeah. Right I don't know on. if we'll see it. 
That's what I want to say. I want to see my phone on your phone. Well, that's that's the best player on defense. I have no idea defense, if we'll see it, but it'd be fun. The best player on defense against the best player outside of the quarterback on offense. That's what we're never going to know that until the game starts, because even if they're going to do it, they're not going to say it. But putting Jalen on Gronk would be must-see TV. I can't wait to get in the locker room this week and hear these guys. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. More on yesterday's big win in Pittsburgh. And probably a little bit more on the Sunday AFC Championship game ahead. Back in 60 seconds, you're on Jags Drive Time. Jags fans, experience Everbank Field in an entirely new way. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a fully guided behind-the-scenes stadium visit. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards. And see why the Travel Channel named Everbank Field as one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and complete tales. See you at the bank. Jags Wired is a brand new show that brings you closer to the field than anywhere else. We mic up the players. We're giving it out wholesale today, baby. Giving you exclusive access to what's happening on the sideline. Let's set this tempo. And on the field. You can't rock me. We break down every aspect of Sunday's game, taking you inside the film room and the locker room. And we beat a good football team. Jags Wired airs Wednesday nights at 7.30 on Fox 30 and on Jaguars.com and the Jaguars apps. Jags Wired. Don't miss it. Happy to have you back with us on Jags Drive Time. Here with you with Ozone Snapshot. They're short, sweet, and to the point today. Duke from Jacksonville. We're one of four standing. Wow, John, can you believe that? Well, it, it, not really. I mean, it, you know, it, it's uh, logically you thought once the playoffs started. Uh, I was never a momentum guy going in, if you remember. I do. 0-2 didn't – I mean, 0-2 in the last few games didn't bother me. Uh, realistically – you're always surprised when a three and thirteen team comes in and does this and goes. But they belong here. They're um, part of what now is going to be seen as the trend for this season, which is big time defense is beating elite quarterback this year. It happened uh, three times over the weekend. Eagles beat Falcons, Vikings beat Saints, and Jaguars beat Steelers. So that's. Now that's going to be the trend all offseason. People are going to be doing trend stories on it. And Jaguars did that. They won without an elite quarterback, so to speak, against an elite guy. And they won because defense can win in the postseason. They deserve to be here. If you recall, I think we had this conversation as the regular season was starting. There was concern about the offensive line. Sure. How would the offensive line be this season? There was concern about the offensive line Friday morning. For, for us, for the Jaguars, I'm lost. This team wasn't playing well offensively oh. on the line going into this game. Okay, all right. You, you lost me there. I'm Sorry. still lost on that. I don't remember the conversation. But to get back to my point, uh, we weren't sure when or if the offense would be able to keep pace. We knew what the right. defense was going right. to be. So the story, I mean, the defense is exceptional. But the understory to this whole thing to me is how the offensive line played well, mm-hmm. how they were able to run the ball and protect. They gave up a franchise record 24 sacks this year. Right. That's all they gave up, which is remarkable. Um, 
So when the question is, are you surprised if they're here? Yeah, I am, because the offense played incredibly well right. yesterday. By the way, the Steelers, who led the NFL with 56 sacks, the Jaguars were second with 55, did not touch Bortles yesterday. Didn't get to him. The offensive line's a huge part of that equation. So if you ask if I'm surprised, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised because I didn't think the offensive line Correct. would be as good as it is. And I th- after Seattle, if you remember, I said if the offensive line plays as well as it did in that game, I think his team's going to the Super Bowl. Right. They played that well yesterday. Yeah. If they do it again on Sunday, I think they're going. All right. Ashlyn, back to you. Last one. Andy from Jacksonville. Proud as hell. Duval till we die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There you have it. I mean, that's what it's about. You know, there's the on field, which is terrific. But after the game, uh, Miles Jack talked about it. Uh, He ran around. I guess I wasn't on the field. I guess he ran around. Fans everywhere. So – People drove up. He said they heard the Duvals. Clearly in the stadium last night, you heard it. This team, this town is connected. This is what it's all about. DTWD. Yeah, I mean, it's, what else do you say to that? You will, uh, you'll see. People, when Mike Dub comes up, I think Wednesday morning it comes up this week on, uh, on Jaguars.com, you'll get a chance to see all of that. So I was remarkable how many, I've said that word like a thousand times today. Yesterday was a remarkable day. How many Jaguars fans? were down low in the stadium, and how many of them were there to celebrate. You, you just couldn't miss them no matter where you turned. And as the game opened up in the Jaguars' favor and the Steelers fans sat down and sat on their hands, you heard Duval. Right. And at the end of the game, there was just this resonating Duval throughout the stadium. You heard a lot. I mean, it, it's a cool thing. And Facebook, Twitter, there's photos of people celebrating. I've got one of my kids at their birthday party yesterday going nuts watching the Jags play. Uh, it just doesn't stop. It, that's the part about this, the fever in this town. It's going to be an insane week for Jaguars fans. As well it should. And, you know, Brian, you and I talked for five or six years since I got back in 2011. The national media pounding on this fan base in this city always thought it was unfair and misplaced. The hardcore fans of this team for the last five or six years have been incredible. And we always felt like there was this strong base just ready to come back when the team earned it they've earned it and it's incredible to see all right what else will be incredible to see is the crowd at uh, metal mushroom over in uh, avondale tonight if you don't have a seat for lunch you probably won't have a seat for the uh, the show tonight calais campbell and crew out there seven o'clock on cbs 47 don't miss a moment don't miss a moment of our coverage all week long here on jaguars.com of course we'll be back with jags prime time jack's drive Jags drive time. I'm talking too fast and too excited. And Coach Marone on Friday morning. I'm going to shut up now. See you.